Welcome to the C3 Church Podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Why don't you just one more time, lift your hands. Father, we thank you. Lord, we open our hearts to the Word of God tonight. We open our spirits way up, God, because we know that without you, without your Word, we can't be anything, do anything, or become anything. And we declare your goodness and your breakthrough and your healing. And we receive what we need to hear, including me, what I need to hear tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Great job tonight. Fantastic. Look, um, I'm just going to get stuck straight into the message and, and do it. i got 25 minutes or so and i got a lot to cover. So stop interrupting me. No, I was kidding, right? That was the Holy Spirit. So look, um, we're doing this series on relationships, as you know, and this is part three of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the next weekend we have the, the Gungors here uh, and they're, they're experts in marriage, but they're gonna, on the Sunday night going to cover a whole range of things relative to marriage because I know there's a lot of young new marriages in this in this Sunday night service but also if you're not married they're going to relate to talked about a whole bunch of things to do with relationships going to be a great weekend next weekend hey so we've got this area relationships are amazing relationships are, are every is the basis of life and you know I was I've realized that relationships as time goes on become more numerous there are different types of relationships and they become more complex as life goes on. When I was 21 years of age, I was a single guy, just me. At 22, I was married. 24, I had a child. 26, I had another child. 29, I had another one. Now I'm a lot older, I'm a grandfather. That's a very, it's an interesting progression. Life, the, 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 the number of relationships and the type of relationships and the complexity of relationships increases over time. From, I went from being a student to working for an organization to, to then working for church and then overseeing people. Your, your professional life changes and increases. The things I'm going to tell you that tonight apply to life. And we need, who knows, we need the principles of the kingdom of God to, to keep our relationships alive, healthy, strong. And if we don't have the word of God in these areas of the principles of relationships, then we're going to struggle a lot more than we would have otherwise. You know, we could talk about the skill of relationships, but I, t- I tonight want to talk about the spirit of relationships, which is like an iceberg. The, the top part above the water is that skill bit, and I believe in those skills. I believe we need to learn those skills, whether it be active listening, eye contact, smiling, all those skills, which are wonderful skills to have. But underneath that is things that are more profound, which is the spirit of relationships, which I believe are the biblical foundations of us having healthy, godly relationships, which is great. So I'm going to give you, I was going to call this message tonight, today, the five firm foundations of friendship and fellowship. But I came up with a sixth point, so I couldn't call it that. So tonight, there is no title. I'm just going to give you my six points. So who's ready to listen quickly? Anybody? Okay. All right. Number one. The number one foundation of biblical relationships is that you get a revelation that you are flawed. <coughs> that you are flawed. If you enter relationships without the knowledge that you are flawed, then you will enter those relationships with the wrong perspective. 
And you'll come in from above instead of below. One of the greatest places you can come in in a relationship is actually from below and then move into and up to a relationship. I'm flawed. I'm flawed. Who's flawed here, anybody? And, and now, so the Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 says this. Paul talking. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then it goes, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. If we recognize our weakness, then we, then we rely on the strength and the grace of God, particularly in the area of relationships. And over in Philippians 1.6, it says this, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will continue it, to bring it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Every one of us are a work in progress. All the works in progress put their hand up. When we're relating to people, understand that you and them are a work in progress. When I was a young minister, a friend of mine said to me, and I've never forgotten it, he said, Mark, when you're working with God's people, always see above their head a flashing neon sign saying, Work in progress, handle with care. And that we've got to be understanding that I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. We're all flawed. We're not quite there yet. And because we're that, then, then in our relationships is this thing called mercy. If I say mercy, mercy is a, such a powerful force in relationships because it gives people room to grow into who God has called them to grow into. And every relationship needs space. When a relationship has no space in it, in other words, when, when, when the ceiling of expectation is so small over people's hearts and lives, then the relationship won't be healthy. But I believe what we need to do is, is create lots of room above people's lives for them to grow. And in that gap, in that space, in that zone, in that, the place where we give them lots of mercy, is that it's okay. Give them room. If you back people into a corner, they'll come out fighting. But if you give them lots of room and say, hey, one of the greatest things you can say to a person, maybe not verbally, but in terms of your feeling around them, is have a mistake on me. Have a mistake on me. Just, just, just go ahead, fail. It's all right. Because guess what? We fail, others fail. And if we come in from that angle, we're going to have relationships that people are, will be attracted to you because you give them room in that thing. Who thinks that's a good idea? Flawed. Number two. Number two, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. God wants us to, to forgive in, in, the, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. And this verse is there, which is amazing. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As I was meditating on this recently and, and, and also hearing someone preach on this, I, I realized that the key word in there is as. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's crazy scary, that one word. In other words, God says, I will forgive you at the same measure to which you forgive others. I'm like, wow. So my relationship with God is, to, is hinged upon my ability to forgive other people. And if I forgive others, then firstly, at a horizontal level, I'm going to be in a relationship in which healing is constantly taking place. Because forgiveness, unforgiveness is, is probably the thing that ruins relationships worldwide constantly every single day. Marriages, families, businesses, the, the thing of unforgiveness. We, Bernie and I ran into a neighbor recently 
who just lost her father and the two people left owning the estate was her and her brother and they disagreed on what should happen with the estate one wanted to sell the estate one didn't want to sell the estate so they ended up in this massive argument that escalated and became got into the courts eventually went to the highest court in the country they spent tens of thousands of dollars each fighting with each other about the sale of a house how crazy is that it causes pain but if we would just forgive one another and live in a place of freedom and openness i'll tell you what healing would flow through businesses would be restored marriages would be restored families would be restored we need to quickly forgive you know uh, peter came up to jesus and said jesus and he thought he was being impressive jesus how often should we forgive each other and before jesus had a chance to answer peter answered for him which is very unwise and said seven times i could i could give seven times and because i think he was thinking that jesus would be impressed with that number and jesus said jesus said peter no not seven times 70 times seven 70 times seven now it's not like you know that equals four that's 490 right it's not like jesus was going four right and when you know someone and they do you wrong 491 times then you can kill them uh, it's not the number it's it's the it's a principle because then, then jesus went on to tell this story or tell a parable of a king who who was owed a whole bunch of money and the person who owed him money the money was so large the amount was so large that he virtually he could not pay it and he came to the king and said please forgive me show me i, I will i will eventually pay it off give me time the king was such so moved with compassion that he forgave the debt 100 percent and he and he left that encounter a free man but that same person who was forgiven went to someone else who owed him virtually nothing and demanded that he be sent to the torturers until he paid it in full and and jesus said that that person is wicked because he was forgiven much but would not forgive little and that's a sign or an example illustration to us of how much we were forgiven we owed god a debt that we couldn't pay and yet he forgave us how awesome is that and yet we hold on to the tiniest little things now in your in our mind we think it's large someone may have uh stole from us or 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 or, or in some cases ridiculous things like borrowed our iphone and not told us or or, or whatever lost something and whatever there's these little things that seem big in our mind but relative to the debt that we were forgiven it's absolutely nothing and if we can keep the flow of forgiveness flowing through our hearts you know forgiveness td jakes says forgiveness is like breathing as you as you receive forgiveness you breathe in as you as you give forgiveness you're breathing out you're exhaling and as much as you need breath you need to receive and give forgiveness as a closed system that if we if we don't forgive there's only so much you can keep taking air in you can't keep breathing in without breathing out you have to breathe out it's like you can't go ah, ah, and just fill your lungs up you've got to actually exhale and get rid of the things that that, that your body needs to get rid of and similarly with forgiveness we need to receive forgiveness give forgiveness receive forgiveness it is as often and as natural as that even before people need or want forgiveness just give it to them anyway and be a person who lets the forgiveness of god flow through your life you'll stay healthy blessed free if you completely let it go there may be some people here tonight who've been holding on to unforgiveness for a particular situation or person for maybe 20 years 
Maybe tonight you can let that go. Even if, it, even if you never say anything to that person, but your heart is free, that person will feel the release next time you're with them because of the forgiveness of God. God's good, isn't he? How awesome is that? Okay. All right. Number three, faith in others. As we have faith in others. As we put, now, this sort of connects with a whole bunch of things in relationships. We need to believe in people. We need to encourage people. Every one of us, every one of us have a feeling around us. There's an atmosphere or a vibe around you. And if, I believe we need to cultivate the feeling or the vibe of faith in others around you. So that when, wherever, wherever you are, whoever you're with, this, the spirit of encouragement is always on you. Because people want to be around that. They, they want to be around that thing where, but yeah, you can do it. It's, it's awesome. And, you know, like, go for it and, and just be a person because people love that. They need that. If you want healthy, blessed relationships in which people are coming to you and wanting to be around you, be a person that's constantly encouraging other people. You might say, well, nobody encourages me. Nobody says anything to me. Don't worry about it. Because if you encourage others, you also will be encouraged. I get more encouraged by the encouragement I see in other people's faces when I encourage them than when other people encourage me. Some of you are thinking, that's the last time I encourage you. No, keep telling me, because I, 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 I need courage well, and I love it when people encourage me. Who loves it when people encourage them? Well, why don't you be that? You be the first to do it. You initiate it. Have faith in others. Tell them they can do it. That, that one of the great... Well, I believe one of the great writers about raising kids is this guy called Ross Campbell. He said this. He said, children are emotional tanks with legs. And they, every day they need their tank filled up. And our job as parents is to, of a morning when the kid, before the kids leave for school, fill their tank up. I love you. You're awesome. You're going to have a great day. Incredible. Because when they go to school, they, they just get the, the, everything just beat out of them. And kids bully them. And the, and the teachers don't like their homework. And then all sorts of things happen. And, they, and their tank goes down. The, and when they come home, they're just, it's just a tank, empty tank with legs. And they just come in the door. And, there they are. And, and, then, and then if they come home and the parents are like, what are you doing here? Look at you, you, you little empty tank here. They get abused at home. No. No, fill them up when they come. Great to see you. And their tank goes up and up and up. Well, similarly, all of us really are that. All of us are just emotional tanks with legs. Everyone needs encouragement for something every day. Everyone needs encouragement. And why don't you be the one who gives it? Why don't you be the one? Now, I'm going to share a weird scripture with you. A scripture that I've, I've always found weird and I've never lived. And I'm, I'm preaching it to convict myself tonight. And it's Ephesians 5.19. Check this out. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Speak in you know, giving thanks to God, so on and so forth. But get back to the other verse, verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is that? Some of you walk around at home and church. Oh, how are you? You're awesome. I find that weird. Pastor Phil does it all the time. In, a deep, in his deep voice, he's awesome. He's, like, he's always singing. Always singing. These deep, and his hymns. He's like, oh, the Lord. And I don't know what they are, but I always run a million miles in the other direction. 
But it's powerful. It's wonderful because we create around us an atmosphere of life and hope and faith and God's good. Your whole world can be falling apart. But the moment you begin to sing, the moment you begin to just say, God, and He's good, and it's awesome, and it praises the God, somehow, and, and so it's not like, the, the, the context of the Scripture is not like you're singing it at people, like, you know, Christine, like, hello, it's, not, it's, it's, it's more that you're just doing it. Hey, whatever. And the people around you get affected. And you, you, people want to be around someone that's got hope and it's got joy and it's got life and it's got the Spirit of God on them and it's, and it's awesome. You know, some people you see them and they go, oh, God. It's like, there's, there's, because we, every one of us create a feeling from when the last time you were with someone and they have a memory of that feeling and they see you again, they go, oh. And sometimes they're like, give me away from that either because you, you speak too long. You just talk about the last time, five times you're in hospital and, and, uh, and every little detail that's involved or whatever. No, be, be a person who's just full of life and a life giver because that's the spirit of Christ is on the inside of your faith and others. Who believes that one tonight? Okay, number four, firm in, firm in my identity. Firm in my identity. If you are... If you know who you are in Christ, you'll have the best relationships ever. If you are secure, you can actually humble yourself to be in a relationship in such a way that you don't have to dominate. One of the greatest problems in human relationships is insecurity. Insecurity causes all sorts of problems. It causes tension. It causes a demand on a relationship that, listen to this, that that relationship can't cope with. When you're insecure, when I was a young social worker, we used to work with all these, these parents, mostly single parents. It's interesting that pretty well 90% of the parents we worked with were single. And they didn't have partners to help them and love them, encourage them. So it was a tough job for these parents. And what I began to see very quickly in my work with these parents was that I remember this one mum saying to me, uh, and she had like a four or five-year-old little boy. And she said, I had this child so someone would love me. I thought, that is tragic. That relationship and that family just blew apart because you don't have children so someone will love you. You have children so you will love them. And if you're coming from a place of a need, you will, you will place a demand on a relationship that that relationship can't handle because only Christ can fill every gap in your life. Only He, he, will, he, will, he will show you who you are and He will fill you and complete you you know that you know the famous movie, Jerry Maguire. What was that movie, Jerry Maguire? <laughs> and there's so many corny lines in that movie, but the, you know that scene at the end where he gets with her and says, "You complete me." Some of you are too young to remember that movie. It's terrible theology. It's it's actually not right. You need to be, when you come into a relationship, watch this, you need to be complete before you come into the relationship. 
Now listen, you're not perfect, you're complete. You're a work in progress, but you're complete in Christ. And when you bring those two things into a relationship, you're not placing a demand on the relationship that the other person can never fill. You are not, you are not insecure. You are secure. Jesus, in Philippians 2, Jesus said, about, it was about Jesus in the Scripture. Paul said to this about Jesus, who did not con- consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself as a servant. This, watch this. If you know who you are from the height, you can lower yourself to get into it. Because most, watch this, most, most health in a relationship comes when you humble yourself. The entry point to great relationships is low. That's when people come. If people come to you and submit, that's why the Bible says submit one to another. Where's submit? Submission. Submission's not here. Submission's here. Submission's low. Submission, the context of submission is servanthood. I'm your servant. I'm low. But in order to get low, you need to know how high you are. It doesn't come from a place of insecurity. It actually comes from a place of security. Because once you know who you are in Christ, then you can humble yourself securely. It's one of the great mysteries of the New Testament. Jesus, who is the greatest being ever in the history of everything. That's pretty big. The greatest, most beautiful creation and creator in all of history. Humbled himself as a servant. And became the seed in a woman. And was born. And grew up as a carpenter's son. And died on a cross for our sins. My goodness, what an example of how to relate to people and humble ourselves before that. So, hey, listen. That same seed of Christ lives in you. And you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are secure. Come on, who's feeling a bit more secure right now? That's why you've got to know who you are. And it isn't about pumping yourself up. It's not about, I'm so pumped. I'm so awesome. I'm so amazing. You're not. In fact, most of you suck. I do. Most days I'm like, you know, like, Oh, like I, every time I get up and pray in the morning, most of it's half of my prayer life in the morning is repentance from the day before. It's like, oh God. And I remember things I said, like, oh, dumb. Who's anyone like that, right? Ah, oh, stupid. Oh. Like the other day, I was like, I actually felt shudders of regret. Have you ever had that when regret sh- shudders you? Like, oh, stupid. <laughs> And then I forgave myself. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's good. I'm secure in Christ. See, it's not about. It's not. It's not about you trying to convince yourself how good you are. It's letting the Word of God tell you who you are in Christ. Then you're okay. Number five. Number five. Seeing the fight for relationships, not just the fight in relationships. If you don't see the fight for relationships, all you'll do is see the fight in relationships. Every relationship has a fight. 
in it. Every relationship, it's weird. Life's weird. Anybody with me? It's weird. Like marriages, there's a fight in that. Why? Because we're different. Men and women are different. But in that, there's a fight for that relationship. Because once you figure that out, that, that as you fight for what God wants to do, instead of fighting in the, in the differences, then suddenly you see what you can do and how you can make that change. Parents and children, there's fight in that. There's tension because you have power and less power. And you have the person who wants them to be different and change and grow. And they've got the ones who are trying to do it. And it's things and employer, employee. In every relationship, there's a fight. But as believers, if we can see the fight for it and the fight behind it, because here's the deal. Take this scripture out, Ephesians 6. Love this passage. Ephesians 5 is all about relationships. Ephesians 6 is all about the battle. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Just hold that right there. Ever say schemes. God has plans. Devil has schemes. As a believer, you've got to know both. As a believer, you've got to live in the plans of God and understand the schemes of the enemy. Because if you don't live in the plans of God and understand the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the enemy will undermine the plans of God. You've got to resist the schemes and recognize when they're coming. So intention, when there's tension coming in your relationships, it's a scheme. The aim of the devil is to break down key relationships in your life and to pull them apart. That's a scheme to undermine the plan. So I know many people have got, I feel the call of God. It's awesome. I'm going to serve the Lord all my life. Ah!" Six months later, they're backslidden, hate God, hate church, hate Christians. What happened to the... Enthusiasm and the, and the God and the plan and the call and the thing. Well, the schemes got the better of them because they didn't recognize him. You've got to understand the schemes of the enemy because they're hidden. Check this out. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are not your struggle. People are not your problem. People are not your problem. You can be in the middle of of a tough situation, facing something with somebody, but the other person is not your problem. They are not the enemy. They are never the enemy. Check this out. But against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of the world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a plan of the enemy to try and break down key relationships in your life. Here's the deal. Here's my advice to you tonight. Figure out what are the five key relationships in your life and fight for it. Fight for them, not in them. That's why we sang that song earlier. Love is war. We're going to sing it in a minute. Love is war. The, 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 the greatest love is a, is, is, a, is, is, a, is a warring love. The greatest love is a fighting love because Jesus fought for our freedom, which is amazing. So seeing the fight for relationships. And the last one is in my father's house. In my father's house. All relationships come under one great arching context called the father's house. And once you figure this out, your life will change forever. When Jesus was eight days old, Joseph and Mary brought him to the house of God to dedicate him, which is awesome. And so they placed him in the house. And they brought him, which is awesome. Thank God for parents. We did that as for our kids. We, all of our kids, when they were babies, we brought them into the house of God. And, it's and don't underestimate the power and the things that happen when your parents 
or as a parent, when you bring your kids to the house of God. They come, and our kids, every one of them, when they were dedicated them at different points, uh, whoever was doing that, prayed for them. Some, in some cases, they prophesied over them. And each one of those, those words of God have come to pass, which is awesome. Powerful thing. However, when Jesus was eight days old, he didn't know he was, that was happening to him. He was prophesied over. Simeon, an old prophet, the Lord spoke to this man and said, you will not die until you see the Messiah. Suddenly, probably when he was nearing death, and when he was thinking, I'll never see the Messiah, in walks Joseph and Mary with Jesus. And he said, here it is, the Messiah. And prophesied over it. The future, the future of this person's life. And Mary held and treasured those thoughts in her heart. The next verse, it skips from him being eight days old to 12 years old. The next verse, bang. And the story goes like this. Mary and Joseph were down in Jerusalem once again for presence conference. Uh, they call it Passover back then. It was annual conference. They, they brought them in for a few days. On their way home, they're traveling out from Darlinghurst. Uh, and the Jesus, after, after a day, a couple of days, Jesus, they couldn't find Jesus. Hate it when you lose the Messiah. Not a good day. And so they couldn't find Jesus. They searched for him for three days. That's pretty full on. Searching for your child for three days. They finally found, they finally went back to Jerusalem. Get where they go. They went to church. Guess where Jesus was? Sitting in the middle of church, talking to the elders, asking them questions and them asking him questions. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? We've been searching for you for three days. Do you realize how much pain you put us through? And he looked back at them with almost like with an incredulous look like, didn't you know where to find me? Didn't you realize I would be in my father's house? What an amazing thing. Because at that point, as a 12-year-old, had a revelation of the context of all relationships live under the father. If we don't get this, this is probably the most powerful thing I can tell, tell you tonight, which is this, that Jesus recognized this. Now watch this. He put his relationship with his parents at risk for the sake of God the Father. Even his own brothers and sisters, as Jesus started ministry when he was 30 years of age, even his own brothers and sisters didn't get him. They used to go to his campaigns, stand outside the meetings, and scream abuse at him. You read the scriptures, it's there. They say, he's mad. Crazy, this is his brothers and sisters. I'm just about falling off the step. I'm just coming closer to you. <laughs> and and they, they didn't get it. And Jesus made this really strange comment when he heard that because the disciples ran into the meeting and said, Jesus, your brothers and sisters outside and they want to talk to you and they think you're crazy whenever. He said, who are my brothers and sisters? You are my brothers and sisters. Anybody who does the will of God is my brothers and sisters. He recognized at a point that he needed to establish as a firm foundation the Father's house as the context relationship. But here's the deal. What, here's the great thing. At the cross, guess who was at the foot of the cross? Mary, his mother, James. He, the, the, and eventually his brothers and sisters, it would appear, according to church history, came to Christ, came to the kingdom of God. Because as you put, if, here's the deal. If we let go of the Father and we pursue relationships outside the Father's house, what happens is I've seen this so many times as a pastor, those relationships outside break down. And when they turn around, they've also lost relationship with the Father's house. That is probably the most important. Get that priority 
strong. Get, understand how powerful it is. My, my deal as a man, as a husband, as a father, and as a leader, my whole thing, every relationship that I have, I, I, I guide people towards the Father's house because I can only bring so much into relationships, but I know that God can do the rest. And if they stay in the house for long enough and don't pursue things outside the house, then God will bless their lives. And every relationship, watch this, every relationship that you have will then have that downflow on it because you get things in order. Your marriage will eventually be blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your children's children will be blessed because you get them under the covering of the house of God. And I can use as much skill and I can do all the things I've done, points one through five, but unless I get this one, then God will not move in my life and bless my relationships. God is good, isn't he? Awesome. I think we should give the Lord a hand right now. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church podcast. Visit us online at myc3church.net. Join us next time for more great teaching.